millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and I'm going to be talking today uh, about the self-strengthening movement, uh, a period of um, economic development in China from 1861 to about 1895 um, and what it tells us about China and indeed Asia in the second part of the 19th century. So um, the self-strengthening movement begins um, following China's second defeat to the British in 1860. Britain had fought two uh, imperial wars against China, the Opium Wars, um, which were really the the product of um, Britain's attempts to break open China to uh, British and later European trade. Uh, the Opium Wars had come about really because of a uh, balance of payments crisis that Britain was experiencing. The British liked um, tea and silk from China, um, and the Chinese um, Qing emperors uh, told the British, in essence, we don't need anything in return, you're an inferior people, um, your manufactured goods um, are no use to us. Uh, the British had regulated world trade in their favour throughout the 18th and 19th centuries in precisely this fashion. They had taken raw materials from around the world and um, commodities um, that had powered their industrialization, cotton from India being a particular example. And then they had sold manufactured goods as a result. This is part of the way the, the, the British slave trade um, had worked. Uh, slaves were exchanged for um, manufacturers. Um, and so when you have an empire such as China uh, that doesn't participate in this exchange, which would eventually leave Britain as a, a an economic surplus nation, war swiftly results. The British respond to the uh, outflow of wealth from Britain to China um, by importing opium into China with all its uh, disastrous effects. This opium was uh, grown in northeast India and uh, shipped to uh, to China. Um, opium had been uh, a, a feature of Chinese um, peasant life for centuries. It wasn't unknown in China, 
but the quantities that the British sold into China soon started to redress the balance of payments problem. But also they create social havoc across China. As you can imagine, um, opium addiction rarely Im improves the quality of society. Okay, so the the first opium war is uh, easily won by the British. Um, the, the Chinese are defeated by modern British battleships. Their fleets are destroyed, um, and the and China is roundly humiliated. Um, it is concluded with the, the Treaty of Nanjing, um, in which Britain gains uh, greater um, trade concessions and extra extraterritoriality, meaning that uh, British uh, merchants and missionaries in China are exempt from um, Chinese law. And Britain begins to penetrate uh, the Yangtze River network. The Second Opium War that is concluded in 1860 sees even greater, um, greater concessions uh, to Britain. Um, and Britain, by the 1860s, is able to develop treaty ports along the Chinese coast. The First Opium War has seen the, the ceding of Hong Kong uh, to Britain. And what China has is a moment of unprecedented crisis. Um, the the Russians, the French, the Americans and other European powers quickly sent that um, China is extremely weak and um, the vast economic potential to be exploited in China uh, in terms of markets, manpower and resources is there for the taking. If we look at this in a, a wider Asian context, um, from 1857 onwards, India has been ruled directly by the British. The um, autonomy of uh, everywhere from Egypt to Persia, all the way through to uh, Malaya, uh, Indonesia, Burma, um, between the British, the French, the Dutch, um, is, is uh, fatally undermined. Um, in some instances, if you take the instance of Persia, it's not that there is a, a direct imperial conquest, but um, the uh, financial ties um, that uh, a government in debt has to Western lenders and the uh, introduction of um, cash crops such as tobacco, particularly in Persia, um, that um, Persian um, peasant farmers become dependent on means that it, the country is plugged directly into the um, uh, into the, the developing nineteenth uh, century globalized order, and the uh, people of um, Persia are. Uh, exposed to the, um, the the vicissitudes and the fickleness um, of global markets um, in in a way that they they haven't been before. The one country that really sees the future in the eighteen sixties is Japan. In uh, eighteen fifty two, uh, the first U.S. visit to Japan, um, the first U.S. expedition. To Japan in the guise of um, the, the famous Commodore Perry um, occurs. Um, the uh, there is a, an implicit threat of uh, military action unless 
Japan opens its borders up, which have been obviously closed for centuries, to um, Western trade. Um, Perry um, arrives at Edo Bay uh, on the 8th of July 1853 with a, a fleet of four ships. Um, and he sails directly to Edo with um, guns trained on the, the town of Raga, um, and which fire blank shells. Um, which the 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 subtext the 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 claim there was that it was a um, a celebration of the American uh, American Independence Day, um, but the 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 reality was that um, it was an implied an implied threat. The um, uh, awareness that uh, higher levels of technology um, and the and military power uh, from the U.S. was combined with uh, an ability to observe uh, events in China, um, the you know Japan's closest neighbour, and to look at the weakness of of the Chinese. Uh, and this sets about during the 1860s, um, the during the era of the Meiji Restoration. Um, a radical transformation of Japan from a feudal um, nation to a, a modern industrial and military power. And the Japanese have uh, no qualms in finding out specifically how British, Prussian and American power is created in uh, terms of um, nav uh, the, the Navy, uh, Army and industry. Uh, and uh, bureaucracy and civil service, um, and they go to they, they go on to develop a, a a fighting power formidable enough that by 1905 it has defeated Russia. There's a very uh, very good account in um, Pankaj Mishra's uh, from the ruins of empire um, uh, of the the kind of impact and significance of the Battle of Tsushima, where the Russian fleet is. Uh, destroyed in short order by the Japanese, and the seismic effect that this has across Asia and across the world, really, in terms of announcing that Europeans are no longer able to uh, march across Asia with impunity. Anyway, back to the self-strengthening movement. Um, the um, self-strengthening movement is absolutely a product of Chinese decline and the uh, humiliations heaped upon China throughout the 19th century. And unfortunately for China, the self-strengthening movement is uh, in no way as uh, successful, nowhere near as successful as the reforms of the Meiji era in Japan. The reforms are pioneered by uh, the uh, senior Chinese Mandarin Li Hongzhang, uh, of whom we'll talk a bit more in detail uh, later. Um, and they last for three decades. Um, Li basically says that in order for, to force foreign forces from Chinese soil, China must first become economically powerful. There's no point in trying to fight a war with the British if you don't have the manufacturers to create things like rifles and cannons. Um, and the nation must be patient and bide its time, building up the country's industrial base and not risking war with the European power too soon. In fact, you actually had to be quite nice to European powers, give them all sorts of um, uh, concessions in order for them to help you industrialise. 
while the economy should be transformed, the imperial government should remain unchanged. Now, for anyone that's heard me go on about um, Russia in the uh, 1860s, um, during the uh, period of the emancipation, there are some interesting parallels here. Um, the idea that uh, that institu some institutions of uh, Russian and or Chinese life can be changed, but ultimately the um, the the, the uh, ruling system of the country remains static is really um, kind of incompatible. Normally, once you revolutionise an economy or a bureaucracy, all of a sudden you wind up having significant political transitions and the way in which power is distributed in terms of uh, who rules and who has a mandate and who selects their rulership, that begins to transition as well. Otherwise, the reform period tends not to work. The um, Li Hongzhang, um, a loyal servant of the Qing dynasty, um, and the Qing emperors themselves were very concerned that these changes might bring about a political or social revolution and not simply an economic one. So all you want is a richer country, but the emperors and the, the Qing dynasty still on top. The regent of China at the time was Prince Gong. Uh, Grong, Gong was a regent to the Tongzhi and Guangzhou emperors, and his closest confidants were enthusiastic about reform. They were educated and they were outward-looking, um, Gong was happy to listen to Li Hongzhang and he realised that China's military strength would certainly be improved by the, um, the changes uh, sort of suggested. There were veterans from the Opium Wars and also the Taiping Rebellion, which again is, is such an enormous topic, we can't talk about it now, but I will definitely come back to it in, in the future, which is a, uh, a, a vast uprising um, within central China uh, led by um, Chinese, uh, Chinese um, Christian e evangelists who were really reacting uh, against um, the failure of China in the Opium Wars. But it was um, a, a conflict of potentially greater proportions um, than the First World War itself. It has a, a vast, vast death toll. But we'll, we'll talk about that another, another time. Um, the um that you had many soldiers coming from the opium wars and the Taiping rebellion um who are enthusiastic and supporters of the movement and they saw it as a means of ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Equipping China with a modern arsenal to repel foreign invaders. These are people that understood the new warfare because they were on the losing side of it. The idea of a self-strengthening movement was first suggested um, not by Li Hongzhang, but a Chinese in- intellectual called Feng Guifen in um, 1861. And he approached the, um, the, the, the Qing administrator and former general Zheng Guofan um, that year um, with a series of essays to explain how change would take place. In the writing of Feng Guifen, um, he said that Confucian ideas would remain basically the basis of Chinese society and that Western scientific ideas should simply be employed as a practical way to solve the country's problems. Now, it's probably wisest for me not to go down the route of attempting to um, examine and explore um, Confucianism. There are probably people much better qualified than me to do that. But what I will say is that what Confucianism um, enabled in China in the 1860s was a deep social and cultural conservatism. It was a a means by which um, the Chinese uh, mandarins and other administrators kept Chinese society in a relatively static and, and as far as they were concerned, a stable structure. The... um, idea that new technologies could be introduced in order to allow the status quo to develop is, is quite a quite a popular one. So the status quo to maintain itself is quite a quite a popular one. You find it all over the place, as previously mentioned in Russia. The first phase of self-strengthening between 1861 and 1872 focused on the development of military power and the acquisition of scientific ideas. The government bought European ironhole battleships and established shipyards and munitions factories. Um, Chinese officers were sent to be trained in Germany, Britain and America. And scientific texts were translated into Chinese. The Qing government hired British and European engineers and experts to help transform China's munitions industry. But the, the, the paradox is this. The devastating defeats that Britain inflicted on China created opportunities for skilled British workers who were prized as experts uh, to run the Chinese armaments factories. Uh, The the Chinese looked at what the British had achieved and thought, well, here you have this uh, mighty warrior nation um, that managed to to kind of defeat us. We will now hire in in the best talent. Um, Obviously, to the great resentment of Chinese workers, no doubt. The um, uh, Li Hongzhang and some of his administrators um, were businessmen as well. Um, and they established their own factories and schools, mines, printing presses and shipyards. And the, the mindset of the uh, of senior um, Chinese bureaucrats was that there was um, not much point in bringing about change if it didn't benefit the, the bureaucrat directly. So, obviously, corruption is widespread, um, and officials authorise projects that they, would, um, that they they would pocket the proceeds from, and government money is diverted towards them, um, and corruption is seen as a fairly standard part of, of life, not a uh, kind of a, a, an aberration, uh, really. Um, 
the court is divided. There are modernizers in the guise of two emperors uh, and a conservative and anti uh, uh, of the two um, um, emperors um, previously mentioned, and the conservative uh, and anti-industrial group uh, led by the Dowager Empress Sixty. Um, Sixty uh, was an extremely skillful and quite deadly uh, political power player in the uh, in the royal court. Um, I know Zhang Cheng, uh, author of uh, Wild Swans, has um, uh, written a new biography of Sixty, where she actually sort of uh, presents her uh, as one of the kind of the, the the great progressive figures of China. But uh, the, the evidence seems to point towards the fact that she was actually really um, a, a conservative and a, a, an anti-modernizer. Um, the foremost uh, anti-European members of the, uh, the, the royal family um, also, and she rejected the idea that Europeans could teach the Chinese anything. Which is again uh, a very particular and very in, uh, and very um, insular uh, Chinese view. Um, all nations have this problem with exceptionalism um, wherever you go. Um, but China, having existed as the Middle Kingdom as a a vast empire for uh, longer than there had really been European civilization didn't think that it needed to uh, to listen. But as Eric Hobsbawm points out, the Industrial Revolution that happened in the late 18th and early 19th centuries is possibly the most significant event in world history, and it happens in Europe. Um, the Industrial Revolution upends all, uh, all previous power relations, which explains why a small island like Great Britain is able to beat China. During the 1870s, there, um, the focus of the self-strengthening movement begins to change. Li Hongzhang, um, again, believed that um, economic self-sufficiency, ha- having not been achieved, uh, meant that military modernization would be pretty irrelevant. He thought that the Europeans were able to beat China through, through the use of modern technology, um, and they could produce modern military technology, because they had vibrant, productive economies. A development of new industries, such as coal, cotton and steamship navigation companies uh, by the Qing government, uh, was an an essential feature of the next phase of the movement. So in in Britain, for example, the prevailing ideology is economic liberalism, which meant that the government stayed out uh, as far as possible from the ruling running of businesses as far... um, and. Um, the, the business and free free from government interference was always preferable and more profitable, and the dead hand of the state uh, would only ever um, create market distortions. And that the the economic liberalism preached that sort of the market was really a kind of almost a kind of like an organism in its own right, and if you um, if you left it alone, it would correct itself. China's different, um, and you see this all the way through to Deng Xiaoping and beyond. Um, the uh, in David Harvey's brief history of neoliberalism, he refers to what happens in China under Deng Xiaoping as neoliberalism with Chinese characteristics. So, in uh, i.e., uh, heavily bureaucratized neoliberalism, um, in China, in bureaucratic China, 
It was a given that officials were the only class who uh, were able to successfully administer major projects, like the development of new industries. New industries were run by businessmen and industrialists uh, and were designed to generate profits, but ultimately they would be controlled by the government and other priorities could easily be imposed upon them. So um, sometimes, if you look at the development of uh, steamboats in China, the steamboats, um, steamboat companies were always less profitable than those run by um, British or French or American uh, steamboat operators because the, the, the British um, didn't go down routes where there were few customers, which were unprofitable. Um, the Chinese did um, because the steamboat became a, a symbol of national pride. Obviously, there can be a, a sound economic argument for going down uh, unprofitable routes because the uh, a transport network that caters for everyone uh, ultimately produces um, perhaps uh, in the long term greater economic benefits than those which just are about the accumulation of uh, of capital. Um, but that's not even the terms in which the Chinese um, mandarins were thinking. They were thinking that um, national pride was at stake and that their steamships should be seen where uh, Western ones were and where they weren't as well. Um, corruption and the tendency um, of state-backed industries to form official and unofficial monopolies led to a weakening of business in many sectors in the economy. In some sectors where um, innovation uh, would perhaps have prevailed, there was no look-in. The, uh, the, um, the state had... Um, had monopolized and it wasn't even that the state was monopolizing in an open and uh, transparent way such as a, a monopoly on healthcare provision that you might get with um in in certain countries um but it was that um mandarins had formed their own corrupt little oligarchies and cliques to dominate certain trades so um one of the core beliefs of self-strengthening that government administration was essential undermines uh, Chinese, uh, China's growth. The power uh, of local and national administrators was so deeply embedded in China, um, pivotal to holding the empire together, that it was inconceivable that they would not have a key role in managing and benefiting from industrialization. So from 1885 to 1895, there's a backlash era. The movement had been suspicious in the eyes, uh, suspect in the eyes of traditionalists, uh, industries developed in a piecemeal fashion in uh, China's provinces um, had uh, limited economic uh, value because despite the fact that there was centralization, there was no stra strategic uh, thinking. Local administrators were able to resist um, mandarins in Beijing. The mandarins in Beijing um, were sometimes unable to impose self-strengthening ideas um, on uh, administrators who are loyal to Confucianism, and um, between the 1880s and the 1890s, um, the pace of change gradually slows down, the energy seeps out from the self-strengthening mo uh, movement, and the only thing that really kick-starts it again is a further military crisis when, in 1894, um, China fi uh, fights a disastrous failed war with Japan, um, and now and after that, you get China's uh, middle classes um, and uh, students uh, demanding a government 
that is able to be more forward-looking, more open, and more competent. Okay, so we'll we'll finish talking about that there. Um, but I think if we look at the kind of the context of this, um, the the period from eighteen sixty, probably the end of the Second Opium War, maybe even eighteen forty two with the First Opium War, uh, all the way up to nineteen eleven in China uh, with the overthrow of the Qing Dynasty, is you know what you could reasonably call a revolutionary period, an equivalent one lasts in Russia from eighteen sixty one probably to about nineteen twenty eight uh, with uh, the um, advent of Stalin, and. During this revolutionary period, um, solutions are presented to Chinese problems, but the self-strengthening movement, for the reasons discussed, doesn't ever really become a kind of a, a full and credible solution in the way in which westernization in Japan uh, does. Um, and the result is uh, really a kind of a, a prolonged period of, of crisis throughout the 20th century. Anyway, thanks for listening, and remember, uh, give us a, a, a hopefully a good review on the iTunes the Explaining History page on iTunes. Find the podcast, give it a five star, and say something nice, and uh, that's what really powers this podcast along. Uh, it's totally, totally um, um, got gold dust. Thanks very much, and I'll catch you all soon. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.